Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. This is this is an honor and a privilege to get to share with a group of people that I'm coming to know and really love. My wife and I moved to Guelph a year ago and came here right away, and we felt immediately at home. One of the things that is interesting about doing kids ministry is we have a we have an amazing team of people who love kids, and we rotate through every week. But we have, what, an hour tops with the kids here? And they want to have some fun, and they want to have a snack, and they want to do all these different things and sing some songs. And so we have this tiny amount of time to try to impact them positively in some way. So which is why we really view it as a partnership with you guys. Those of you who are parents, grandparents, we are not the chief or sole spiritual input in your children's lives. That's your jobs. And and so we really see what we can do is, can we give them a little bit of the character of God? Can we give them a little bit of what God's doing in our lives so that they can be remembered that, that God is real? So we try to work every Bible story into our own lives. And so that's exactly what I'm going to do with you guys this morning. I'm going to share a little bit about my life and hopefully expose a bit of the character of God to you guys, which is what we do every time we teach, and it's what our team does as well. So, uh, if you can't tell yet, I have a little bit of an accent. It's been muddied by living in Canada for a good long time, but I was born, I hear some laughter from people who know me from back in the day. Uh, I was born and raised in New Zealand and moved to Toronto uh, in the 90s. Uh, my great, great grandfather, I believe his name was Henry Puddle, brought the Puddle family from England to New Zealand. And he was a member of the Salvation Army and was full of the Holy Spirit. And I have a photo of him with a big uh, marching drum and his whole Salvation Army uniform. And so I have in, in that, in my father's line, many, many generations of believers, people hungry for God. And my mother's side, my grandfather was a first-generation believer. He, they lived across the street from this church, and the new pastor of that church discovered that the man living just across the street wasn't a believer, and his f- wife was a nominal believer, and so he made my grandfather his project. And he worked aggressively and eventually uh, won my grandfather over to the Lord. And then my grandfather uh, got radically filled with the Holy Spirit before it was in style, had to be carried home, not far, you know, 100 100 meters or so, which kick-started a huge transformation in my grandfather's life. He and my grandmother began opening their home to people and inviting all manner of people into their home to stay with them temporarily, to stay with them semi-permanently. They adopted two children. They fostered another one. They had two children biologically. And they began a journey of Christian community, which uh, involved wild things. People having dreams with their, with my grandparents' address coming to them in a dream, and then just rocking up to my grandparents' house and being like, hey, I don't know what the deal is, but I got your, your house number in my dream, and I've got to be here, and my life is falling apart. And they're like, oh, well, come on in. And 
There's a guy who's, to that, the guy actually who had the dream to this day is still a family friend and uh, came, became a radical lover of Jesus Christ. Uh, his marriage totally turned around. They went to Japan, were missionaries in Japan for like 20 years and uh, still good friends with my grandparents until my grandfather's death a couple of years ago. So eventually they had to knock out a wall in their home because there were too many people gathering in their home. So many people being set free from years of fear and pain. They eventually got a bunch of these families together and decided to buy land together. And they all moved out to the countryside and established a shared living community where everybody had their own home on this large shared plot of land. And they built five-bedroom homes, two adjoining five-bedroom homes, each with one-bedroom units attached. And they built three of these clusters for the six families that were the core of this community. And in those one-bedroom homes, they invited anybody who needed help to come and spend some time and get rehabilitated to life and love and everything. And they've been doing that for 30, 40 years. And there's now like a next generation of those people and the third generation even living there and taking over those homes and continuing that mission and that vision. So I grew up in that context Home for me is there on the top of this hill in the rolling hills of Waikato, New Zealand. If you've seen Lord of the Rings and you know where Hobbiton is, that's about 30 minutes drive from where I grew up. So it's English pastoral landscape is home for me. So you can understand why living in Etobicoke in Toronto kind of sucked and I was eager to get out. And so we settled on the northwest corner of Guelph where I am two minutes drive from cornfields and I am as happy as can be. My parents um, joined YWAM, uh, Youth with a Mission, missionary organization. They actually met one another through YWAM. They had both joined YWAM independently. And they spent years living in the communal life of YWAM. My parents... Uh, eventually had me and my brothers, and they hauled us around the South Pacific. They hauled us off to Europe, and we lived in France and Switzerland for two years. We eventually moved to Cambridge, Ontario, and were stationed at the former YWAM base here in Cambridge when I was four years old. And I gave my heart to the Lord as a four-year-old boy in Cambridge, Ontario, which for most of my life was a distant, far-off place somewhere in Canada. And then I moved to Toronto, and Cambridge was still a distant, far-off place somewhere in Canada. And then I moved to Guelph and realized Cambridge is right there, like 20 minutes. I go to Cambridge all the time whenever I need a store that Guelph doesn't have. Um, Like sale, specifically we go to sale to get our outdoor goods. Um, And so, so I still grew up in community because my parents were living in this community, this missionary-focused community. Uh, from a community with my, my grandparents where there was a, a focus on caring for people and rehabilitating them to YWAM where there's a focus on outreach and on mission, and on taking the love of God to everybody else. So in the 90s, my parents heard the call of God to join the revival in Toronto. So 1999, we packed everything up. I was thir- Thank you, Jesus, she says. Good plug. Thanks, honey. We moved to Toronto. I remember arriving in Toronto in August 1999, walking in to catch the fire uh, Toronto, 
and never seeing anything like it, never seeing anything that big. I'd never seen a church that big before. I'd never seen a church with an ark, like a Noah's Ark thing inside. And I'd never seen anything that weird in terms of what was going on and listening to this lady manifest the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I, maybe it was my love of fantasy and science fiction, but I remember just saying, okay, fine. Why not? Why not? We've moved all the way from New Zealand, so I guess it better be weird or good or something. So fine, I'm in. And not long after, I met my wife. She doesn't remember meeting me the first time. I was 13. She was 17. Uh, I was like paying attention to this girl. I I, I understand why she was not paying attention to me, but that's fine. Um, And we eventually married. And after being married two years, we moved to Finland for Maya to pursue a master's degree in Finland where education is free, praise God. So, while we were in Finland, we began pursuing community. We didn't find a church home that fit anything, and we didn't have any draw from the Holy Spirit to join an existing church community there. So, we started connecting with other people who also felt outside and also felt like they didn't belong. And in a very short amount of time, We had a small group of people who loved Jesus, and we were learning to love one another. And we began to see outrageous things happen in our midst. Like we'd be sitting in the living room, having dessert with a few friends, just creating a space for God to move. We didn't gather for prayer, but sometimes we would pray. We didn't gather for worship, but often we would worship. We didn't gather for Bible study, but often we would read the Bible. We were really just saying, let's get together our friends who we love, and let God do whatever he would do in this space for an hour. Even just as a statement to the principalities and powers. Look, here is part of the body of Christ, assembled. And out of that very simple, organic place, people's lives started being changed. Uh, We had a girl experience demonic deliverance spontaneously in the living room while we're just chatting and being ourselves. We had a girl come and share how, uh, well, actually her husband kind of shared on her behalf how she was joyless and hadn't basically ever heard God speak to her and didn't think she ever would. And boom, Holy Spirit falls on this girl who's never experienced Holy Spirit in her life. And she's weeping and people are just sitting around her, just putting a hand on her and praying and just being a friend. And she comes online on Facebook the next day and she's like, I'm full of joy. I don't even know how to describe this. And she messages us a few days later and says, I was praying before bed and I, all of a sudden I was like struck mute and I couldn't speak and I heard God say to me, the girl who doesn't hear God speak, you've prayed enough right now and I'm just taking your words away so you can hear how much I love you. And so we're like, wow, there's something powerful and real when you create a space for God to come and be God. At the high point of all of this incredible stuff. We had a neighbor call us one day, non-believer, and say, today I just sank to the floor of my kitchen and realized I can't manage my life anymore. And I said, God, if you're real, then just take the wheel. Come and take over my life. I give you everything because I can't run it anymore. And I just had the sense that you would be able to understand this experience because when I said that, it suddenly felt like the lights came on in my house and everything was different. And now I feel peace. Can you tell me what's happened? Yeah, sure, we can. That's cool. That one was free. Um, 
And I said to God, what is this? What on earth are we experiencing here? I, I don't really understand. On the one part, it's everything my heart has ever wanted. But on the other hand, I, I don't really understand. I felt the Lord say, when you make room for Christ to be the king, when you make room for the king to reign, you will experience kingdom. The Father said, it's not complicated. A kingdom is where a king reigns. So when you create a space in your hearts, in your lives, in your community of friends, where the king can reign, you will experience God's kingdom. So I had to then learn a bit about the king and about the kingdom. For eternity, God has existed as the Father and the Son. And the Father pours out love in unmeasurable perfection on the Son. He adores the Son. He gives the Son everything that He is and has And it is all for the sake of the Son, as far as the Father is concerned. And the Son receives and lives in this love and reciprocates it back to his Father. And the very substance of that love is the Holy Spirit of God. And so God has existed forever as the lover, the beloved, and the love itself. And this love is so rich that God says, we we are, are, are not enough for this love to be expressed fully. We have perfection of love, but it could be bigger, it could be broader, and it could be experienced by more. And so God creates an entire universe, planets and stars and space dust and an unmeasurable expanse of creation. And he puts this beautiful blue ball around the sun and this perfect orbit, and he creates beautiful animals and plant life, and this incredibly exquisite planet, and the pinnacle of his creation is not the sunset or an amazing waterfall or when birds and starlings do that murmuration thing and they look incredibly beautiful and your mind is blown, the pinnacle of creation is humanity, is you and I created in the image of God so that we can experience that love and give it to one another and extend the experience of God. So he creates Adam and Eve in this garden, in this perfect space, and gives them his perfect love, and he walks and talks with them and hangs out. And then things get all messed up. We know that part. And so we fast forward however many thousand of years. And God wraps himself in in our human flesh 
and comes down to earth to make a few things really clear to us. I love you. I am for you. This whole thing is about you experiencing my love. It's always been about that. We didn't always know that, but now we do. And God, there's this wild, you know, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are, are one, and God wraps himself in a human flesh, and, and they're, they're one. And Paul says the mystery hidden throughout the ages is that God would come and be within man, and we would be one. And God creates man and woman so they could become one flesh. And Christ says, now, my spirit needs, I need to go so that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in you so you all can become one flesh, and we become the body of Christ. Not me, not Amy, not Catch the Fire Kitchener, but all of us together become the new body of Christ, and God is within us, and we become in time the bride of Christ as well, and the two become one flesh, and the entire narrative arc of Scripture is all about becoming one with God and understanding that this perfect, limitless love is given to us to experience, to live in, to pickle, to marinate in and then to share. And and so we look at Christ, who is God, the visible image of the invisible God, and he comes to earth, and he doesn't just raise Lazarus from the dead. First, he weeps because he cares. And he doesn't just heal the woman with the issue of blood. First, he has compassion. And his heart goes out to her. And every miracle and every interaction that human beings have with Jesus, he cares. And then his love is powerful and changes them. And the invitation is still there for you and I and for all of us to live the same way. It starts in our quiet space. It starts in our private, solitary moment. Whether that's, for me, in the early part of the day, when I try and try, I don't always do it successfully, try to get up early and spend a little time with the Lord before the day gets going. Or sometimes it's just, that little moment in the busyness of my day where I recenter myself on God. But all of this starts in that quiet, solitary moment where it's just you. Where it's just you and God and you allow yourself to be vulnerable and available.
to God. And his love comes and dwells upon you. I used to be really bent out of shape about my sin and about all kinds of stuff and about trying to please God until I understood that God is pleased, period. God is not so worried about what my sin does to like me and him. God, God is just grieved at what my sin does to me. And all he ever wants to do is rescue me from my sin. We don't need to be concerned about preaching a message that's soft on sin because sin is not soft on us. Sin is horrific to us. And God cares and wants to lift us out of that. And so in our quiet moments, we seek first the kingdom of heaven. And we allow God to come and love upon our hearts and transform us. And as we do that, and as you do that, and as you do that, we come and we hang out because we're friends, because that's what humans do. Humans make friends with each other. It's meant to be a normal part of life. It's not crazy spiritual. We can be friends. We're all allowed to have friends. But here's what happens. The Spirit of God in me, that very love that I've been saturating in in my quiet time and throughout my life reaches out to the Spirit of God in you. And the two, and we are drawn together. It's not rocket science. It's just what happens when the Spirit of God, eagerly like magnetism, reaches out to the Spirit of God in you. Because the Spirit of God is not divided. It can't be kept separate. We are all one body, whether, we're div- whether we think we're divided, whether we're like, oh, well, I'm a Roman Catholic, and you're a Pentecostal, and I'm Eastern Orthodox, and I'm Calvinist Reformed, whatever. We are all the body of Christ. And so, just like th- th- we learn in Acts, they discovered that when two or three were gathered in one place, there was God with them. That's, that's what happens. That's what happens. The Spirit of God in me reaches out excitedly to the Spirit of God in you because we've both been pickling and marinating in God's love. And so we can begin to form a community that cares, a community that is rooted in vulnerability and availability, where we are first vulnerable with God and available to God, not because God has to use us, but because God loves us and longs to spend time with us. And rooting vulnerability and availability to God in our private space, we can join one another and be vulnerable with one another and be available to one another. And this is where, together, we can allow Jesus Christ to come and reign in our lives, in our circle of friends, and we experience the kingdom of God in all the ways that God will choose to manifest it. And it's unfortunately rare. Would you agree? It's unfortunately rare, but not because it has to be. Not because God has designed it to be difficult or complex, or because it's some kind of, you know, it's like, well, gold is rare because, gold is valuable because it's rare. Experiencing the kingdom of God doesn't have to be like that. It's simply rare because you and I so seldom slow down 
and I make ourselves vulnerable and available to God personally. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> I see a few hands. Thank you. And then even more so, how seldomly do we make ourselves vulnerable and available to other people? I get it. I understand. But it's better. It's a better way to live. It is a, it is a powerful way to live that will change your life, that will change our cities, will change our entire culture and our entire world when that love flows from one to another. And what does is, what is the scripture say that we will be identified by our love. That people will be, ah, oh, those people, they love so well. Look at how they've opened their homes to people in need. Look at how people who come near them are just healed. Look at how neighbors who don't know the Lord are spontaneously led to accept Jesus and then call them for explanations. They must be Christians because we know no one else who loves that way. This is our destiny. This is our invitation from God. This is the relational dynamic that's present in the Garden of Eden. And we're, we're invited to pick that up and continue that journey. Right? Does that make sense? And I can tell you, what really excites me here for these people, for you guys, is that that's Adam and Amy's heart. And that's what Maya and I picked up when we walked in the first Sunday, partly because, you know, Amy is like over here trying to lead worship with a child tangled between her legs, and Melissa's fending off a child over here. <laughs> Not sure if any of you have ever seen that happen before, like an hour ago, and, and, and Adam is sort of like, children are running around, and I'm just like, oh, this is good. This looks like my living room. I feel very comfortable here. This is wonderful. And so I can tell you, for those of you who don't know, that there is a small group of people, Adam and Amy, John and Melissa, Garland and Kari, Karen and a few others, who get together because we're friends. And we are learning to be vulnerable with one another and available to one another. And we are growing in the richness of God's love together. And so this whole, the whole leadership group, whatever you want to call it, of this church is pursuing God's kingdom, laying down our lives together when we, whenever we gather, because we are friends, because that is what friends can do. Not all of you will be able to join in this group of people. Partly that's because not all of us yet are friends, but many of you do have friends in this congregation with one another, and many of you have friends in other congregations. And the invitation is here in every one of your circles to first be vulnerable and available with God privately, and then with your friends, with your neighbors, with your natural people who you relate with, to be vulnerable and available, to increase the standard of love in your community. And then, 
We gather here on a Sunday. Why? To celebrate, to have fun, to party, to say, look at what God is doing. We look at the description of the church gatherings in the early church. Okay, we don't have to do what they did. We don't have to read the Bible as an instruction manual for everything that they did. Okay, But we, we learn that what they did was that they had all discovered that the Holy Spirit indwelled them. They discovered that when two or more were gathered, the Holy Spirit was there present. And then it began to overflow. And then they would gather in large groups periodically to talk about what God was doing and to reach out to other people and to invite them into their friendships, their relationships, their communities of love. And so this is, this is what we can do today. We can celebrate what God is doing in our own lives. I mean, the reason that we, the reason that we should be able to come to church with joy in our heart is because of what God is doing every other moment of our lives when we're not here. Right? And I know that that's rare too. And I've lived most of my life where that wasn't real and God was, and, and Sunday morning was my only hope, was the only time that I got recharged and refilled, right? I mean, I don't know if that's anyone's life, but I've been there. I've been, I've been there where Sunday was my only connection. And then I've been there where I got sick of Sundays and I wanted nothing to do with church. I've, I, I, I lived, I, I didn't attend church for 10 years while we were married because I just couldn't figure out what it was for. But in the midst of that, when I began to allow God to completely saturate me in his love, and when that love began to spring forth like rivers of living water out of my life into the lives of the friends around me, simple friends that God had given me, neighbors, family members. And we all began to experience the goodness of God each and every day. We all suddenly realized what Sunday was for. And then we read that they all came with a song and a word, and we understand this is what they were gathering around, celebrating the goodness of God as was made manifest to them every hour of the day because they had committed to living vulnerably and availably for one another and for God. That's our invitation, and that is pretty much what Adam and Amy and all of us here are passionate about. And if we can teach anything on a Sunday, we would teach to inspire you that God loves you and desires nothing more than to pour out his love upon you because it will transform your life and then to invite you to share that transformation with one another. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your love and your goodness. Jesus, we glorify you and adore you. Mm, Holy Spirit, we welcome your love. We welcome your love. If you're sitting here and you just know that you haven't really encountered that love, then I just invite you to be honest with yourself. It's okay. Our honesty, our vulnerability, our vulnerability and our availability is the... It's the best thing that we can give to God. 
So if you're sitting there and you're like, you know what, I, I, not only do I not even understand this community love or not have experienced it, but I don't even know God that way, then I invite you to just get honest with your own heart for a moment and honest with God and say, God, whatever, this is me. And if you know God, uh, but you're desperate for this kind of love in your human relationships, I can promise you that you are not the only one in the room feeling that. If you are hungry for an increased measure of God's love in your life, whether that's mystical and spiritual in your private place or practically caring, ministered love to you through friends and family, whatever that looks like, then I just invite you to stand up and come on up to the front, not because the front is magic, but because it's a good statement between you and God, you and the Holy Spirit, and you and yourself, that you want more of that love in your heart both spiritually and practically. And some of us will just lay hands on you and we'll just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with love. So come on up, just welcome you. It's safe. It's your time to be honest with yourself and honest with God.